0: Okertov, good morning, Baruch Hashem, glad to be with you this morning for the uh, Aliyah Day. This is covering the 6th and 7th uh, Aliyot of Parashah Vayera, and uh, welcome, glad that you're watching from anywhere and everywhere in the Fruited Plains, so glad to be with you this morning, and uh, Baruch Hashem back in my office today, so uh, prayerfully The feed is better, the internet is better, the audio is better, life is better, uh, you are better, I'm better, everybody's better. Burkashim, (laughs) glad that you're with us. Hey, it's been an amazing week. It's been an amazing uh, last, uh, you know, 24 hours or so. Uh, We have some uh, beautiful Lapidniks that are visiting here from uh, Virginia, North Carolina. Uh, Michael Brown, Michael Kahn from uh, Virginia, North Carolina. Uh, respectfully, it's wonderful to have them. there, amazing, on fire, and uh, very, very excited for them to uh, be here. They have driven all the way from uh, you know, North Carolina, the uh, from the Atlantic Ocean, all the way to Tejas to visit us. So it's amazing. So listen, if you live and if you're watching, you're tuning in, you're thinking, wow, what an amazing uh, Aliyah this is and you live in southern uh, Virginia or you live uh, somewhere in North Carolina, particularly on the coast of North Carolina, then uh, message us. Let us know. We will put you in touch with uh, these uh, Lepidniks and uh, see what happens. Bruk be wonderful. So anyway, I know we got people watching from Tulsa. If you're in the Tulsa area, while I'm at it, I might as well go ahead and put a plug in for all of our beautiful people here. If you're in the Tulsa area, northeast uh, Oklahoma, let us know. We've got people there. If you're in the Kansas City area, Independence, Missouri area, let us know. We've got people there. If you're in Houston area, let us know. We've got people there. If you're in New York uh, City area, just north of New York City, in fact, let us know. We've got beautiful people there as well. So, listen, we've got uh, people used to ask me back in the days, the old days, back in the old days, ancient times, a couple of years ago, People would say, Rabbi, are there any Lapida uh, groups in my area? And I would say, unfortunately not. Uh, we're it. If you want to, you know, if you want to be connected, you, you have two options. You can move to the great state of Texas, which is like the Holy Land, only slightly different. Uh, <laughs> or you can uh join us online and we have a beautiful online family and we stay connected and we make every possible effort to make sure that if you're online, that you're connected. Uh, so um, but now, now we have people propping up. We even have a, a you know a small family that uh, has been watching for a long time from uh Kentucky, so uh, people everywhere. So just let us know if you're in the area, let us know. Baruch Hashem, uh message us, let us know where you live. And if they're not somebody uh that lives uh, near you that's a Lapid, then we want to connect with you online or we want to invite you to move to the great state of Texas, to Fort Worth. It's beautiful. It's like a, it's like a holy province here, Rul So amazing things are going on. Uh, as soon as I finish the Aliyah uh, this morning, I'll be meeting uh, with some architects and designers and so on with respect to the mikveh, because with God's help and with your help and with your support, we're going to get that project underway. I mean, just just amazing things are going. So just... I don't know what else to say. If you're not excited, then uh, you should check your pulse, I guess. Baruch Hashem. All right. To the Aliyah. Let's get here. It's to the 6th and 7th Aliyah. We're finishing up Vayera. By the way, looking forward to Parashah Parashabot is probably one of my most favorite Parashot. Uh, parashot. Uh, so I can't wait because we're going to get into Memtet. We're going to get into um, that uh, quote-unquote mysterious uh, being. It's just going to be amazing. All right. So let's look. Without further ado, if you have your art school chumash, we are on page 333, three, three. all right? And uh, we are in chapter 8, looking at verse 17. This is the continuation of the plague of the wild beasts, which, according to the Midrash Rabbah, also included uh, beasts of the air. So it says, such as birds, by the way, <laughs> but I just thought I'd point that out, all right. Uh Um so nineteen. Let's look look at verse 19. I shall make a distinction between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign will come about. So again, we talked about a distinction yesterday that not only did this plague not happen in the land of Goshen. So if you went into the, the borders of the land of Goshen, uh it, it did not happen there, but it wasn't just limited to there. Whenever the Jewish person walked beyond, if they happened to go beyond Goshen, then the, the wild beasts, the snakes, the scorpions would flee from before them. So when Mashiach Yeshua is talking about that we'll trample upon uh, snakes and scorpions and so on, this is an illusion. So, verse 20, Hashem did so and a severe swarm of wild beasts came to the house of Pharaoh and to the house of his servants, and throughout the land of Mitzrayim, the land was being ruined because of the swarm. The sages say that this is the first time that Pharaoh was really, really scared because he, he couldn't run he couldn't run from the wild beast uh they were they were just uh, they would disappear anywhere. Can you imagine how terrifying that is? I once knew somebody a uh, long time ago that they were uh christians they were christians but they were they were I guess you would call them missionaries. I don't know. They, they really did Bible translation. But anyway, they lived in Chad, Africa. And uh, the man was telling me one time that uh, uh, he woke up in the middle of the night and he had to run out and get some of the villagers to help him because a cobra had come into their hut, and the villagers, he needed their help to get the cobra out of the hut. And I told him, I said, well, I don't want to live anywhere where there's a possibility of a cobra coming into my hut. I'm just, I'm just going to, I'm not going to, no more vacationing in Chad. Forget it. All right. Verse 21, Pharaoh summoned Moshe and Aaron and said, go bring offerings to your God in the land. And Moshe said, it's not proper to do so for we will offer the deity of Mitzrayim to Adonai, our God. behold, if we were to slaughter the deity of Egypt in their sight, will they not stone us? We will go on a three-day journey in the wilderness and bring offerings to Adonai our God as He will tell us. Now, I want to mention that the, one of the reasons the sages bring down um, in the Midrash Rabbah as to why there was actually animals that uh, these wild beasts. Why the why the plague of the wild beasts? You know, Hashem does everything measure for measure, uh, and so. What happened apparently was is that the Egyptians would ask the Israelites to go into the wilderness and to bring them back leopards and lions and so on, so that presumably they could have their skins or maybe have them as pets, whatever. But they did it partially for sport. And so the uh, slaves that were forced to go hunt for these animals would suffer by them. And so Hashem said, since you did that to my people, I am going to... Uh, cause you to suffer by those same animals. But looking at this particular statement here, the deity of Egypt. So, Rabbi Monk brings down a comment from uh, Rambam. Uh, Rambam, excuse me. Not Ramban, but Rambam. And he says, Rambam com- comments that the Egyptians worshipped the consolation Ares, which is the ram. Consequently, They abstained from killing sheep and held shepherds in in contempt. Furthermore, the Egyptians regard slaughtering cattle as an abomination, since they held cattle in great esteem. And so Rabbi Monk points out, to this day, Hindus do not slaughter cattle, even in those countries where other animals are slaughtered. Apparently, Rambam, and this is mentioned, by the way, in his Guide to the Perplexed, uh, chapter 3 and verse 46, sees a connection that the Hindu Worship of cattle uh, with something left over from Egypt, from Mitzrayim. But what I see here, and I want to point this out, I've I've done so in times past, that there is uh, really a correlation between this statement and the Messiah Yeshua. So let's think about this for a second. We know that the Messiah is spiritually considered the Lamb of God. We also know that... um, when uh, Abraham uh, was offering up Isaac, what did he what did he offer in Isaac's place? God revealed to him what a ram, a ram what caught in the thicket. How was the ram caught in the thicket? He was caught in the thicket with by his horns. So he literally. So think about this: the ram literally had a crown of thorns on his head, and so this ram became the offering offered in place of Isaac. But, nevertheless, it was always considered as if Isaac had been offered. Moreover, the sages write about this lamb. This comes from uh, Pirkei, de Rabbi Eliezer. It's uh, that this ram was actually created 2,000 years before creation. So, therefore, the ram precedes creation. It is, therefore, not just a ram. It's Mashiach. Okay? So, the Messiah is a ram. He's also a lamb. Okay? Now, we're having here a discussion of, listen, we can't, uh, you know, because Pharaoh, he's trying to compromise, right? There's a, there's a partial government shutdown, and so Pharaoh is trying to compromise. He's, listen, I don't want you to go out into the wilderness. Why don't you just stay here? Uh, you know, it's, Egypt is nice this time of year. You can just do your sacrifices here. And uh, Moshe says, look, we can't do that because uh, we'll be sacrificing your God, and that's going to be bad. And so we need to go out into the wilderness and do this. Now, remember also that the Israelites in Egypt had had themselves become idolaters. So everybody who left Mitzrayim, every single person who left Mitzrayim was an idolater. And everybody, you know, uh, I don't want to get off track here, but many people wonder about the whole conversion thing. And I totally understand. I I, I have some messages I need to reply back to. I haven't had a chance to do so. Uh, people asking me about um, conversion and and uh, how does that uh, correlate with uh, you know Christian thought and so on and so, so on and so. Um, if you wrote me that note, I'm going to get back to you today, Hashem. But after the mikvah appointment. <laughs> so anyway, but anyway, I digress. So the point being is, I understand the confusion because we've got to go. We've got to go back in time because now we live where we live and we've had uh, two thousand years of bad theology. We got to go back in time to the original moment and look at conversion for what it was, uh, and and but anyway, but we should know that whatever we think about conversion, um, we should know that every single person who came out of Egypt, to include Moses, to include Aaron, to include the prophetess Miriam, every single one of them went through conversion before receiving the Holy Torah. Every single person. In fact, as I said before, conversion, the ritual of conversion. Okay. The the ceremony of conversion comes from receiving the Torah at Mount Sinai. Number one. Where does the other place it comes from? You know the answer. If you've been watching the Ali Day faithfully, the other answer is Ruth. So the two places that we get the halakha for conversion is Mount Sinai and Ruth. Those are the two principal places. Okay. Every single person went through conversion. Before Receiving the Holy Torah, no matter who you were. So, everybody had, which is why when Yeshua was here, he said to everybody, and by everybody to Jews, he wasn't even talking to Gentiles at the time, he's just talking to Jews. He said, You've got to be mikvahed. You've got to be mikvahed. By the way, some people say, I don't believe in the oral Torah. That's okay. Do you believe in water baptism? Of course I do. Yes. Well, you believe in the oral Torah because that's, that's where it comes from. We receive water baptism, mikvah, from the oral Torah. If you believe in water baptism, then you believe in the oral Torah. If you're a Christian watching and you're just, you know, you're being drawn to the actual faith of the Messiah, you want to live actually how Messiah lived, and so you're wanting to know more, and you're thinking to yourself, I I want to know more, but I'm not really sure about this whole oral Torah thing. I've never been one who uh, believes in the oral Torah. I would ask you two questions. Number one, do you pray before you eat? Probably going to say yes. I would say, well, welcome to the club. You believe in the Oral Torah because it was the Pharisees who gave us the bracha, pray before you eat. And I would say, hey, do you do you uh, do you do the uh, communion thing? You did a little little cup of uh, grape juice or whatever when you're eating a little cracker, and you say, well, yeah, oh, oh, absolutely. That's uh, that's absolutely uh, what I believe. Okay, great. You walk, welcome to the club. You believe in the Oral Torah? Why? Because that cup of grape juice or wine actually is from. The uh, Pesach Seder. Who gave us the Pesach Seder? The Pharisees. So who kept the Pesach Seder? Yeshua. So when Yeshua is having the Last Supper, he's having a Pesach Seder, which means he's a Pharisee. You see? Well, that was pun intended there, or maybe not, not intended, but anyway, <laughs> anyway, I'm getting off track. Go, going back to the ram. All right, let's go back to the ram. I'm, I'm just, I'm happy today. I'm excited today. Lots of great things happening today. Baruch Hashem. All right, so where'd I leave off? Pharaoh. So he said, "I can't offer this ram." So everybody's coming out of Egypt is is a is a uh, idolater, right? So presumably, they possibly are also maybe worshiping the ram and the sheep as well. So let's go back and look. The chief deity, therefore, let's put everything together. The chief deity of uh, Mitzrayim is the ram, the lamb, and we have. Yeshua, who is the Lamb of God. What would you say if I asked you the question, what ultimately is the primary deity of humankind, of mankind? Now, some people might answer many different things. I'm going to give you my answer. Because I can't hear you. So I'm going to say, that the ultimate God, quote-unquote, the ultimate deity of humankind is man himself. Our, as human beings, ultimately what it boils down to is that we believe in the God called man. Why? Because we like to follow our own rules. We like to follow our own ideas. We, we, we trust in the power of man more often than we, we trust in God. This is why God says don't trust in horses or chariots. A king can't save you. Even today in Judaism, most uh, Orthodox Jews are waiting for the Mashiach to come. And they're waiting for a mere human being. They're waiting for a man, not a divine Messiah. Many Jews would say the Messiah is not divine. This is why Yeshua is not the Mashiach, et cetera, et cetera. Shalom, because he's not a. Uh, he, he, the Messiah is going to be just a human. He's not going to be divine. And uh, unfortunately, many believers have begun to, to think the same thing. And what what is remarkable about that is that the the, the Bible says in the Book of Psalms that. Um, Salvation is found in no human being, no no man. So if you're waiting for the Messiah to come and you think he's just going to be a man, that's completely contrary to what the scripture actually says. But moreover, if you think about it this way, so here we are in Egypt. Egypt thinks that the absolute highest deity is the ram, the lamb. And so what do we do? We sacrifice the lamb. What are we saying? That our trust is not in the Lamb, that our trust is in God alone. And so it makes a big statement, makes a big splash in Egypt. So, think about it this way. When Mashiach comes, and he's in the form of a human being, a form of a human being, he's a manifest, you know, he's Hashem manifest in a, in a human form, right? And we take that human form, and we, we, we nail it to the crucifixion stake, we have just done the same thing, I'm submitting to you, that we did in Mitzrayim by killing the lamb. We said our trust in his Hashem alone, we don't put our faith in this animal. And therefore, by, by slaying Mashiach in a human form, we're saying we no longer put our faith in man, but our faith is in God alone. And so, we see a correlation here, I'm, I'm saying, between this uh, concept and what we have in our Torah portion. The ultimate deity of mankind, the ultimate, it all boils down to uh, that deity being man himself. And we've got to slay, and we did slay that deity so that our trust is in Hashem alone. So, we have, continuing on here in our parashah, um, Verse 21, Pharaoh summoned Moshe and said to Aaron, Go bring offerings to your God. He says, well, It's not proper for us to do so because we offer the deity of, e- of Egypt. Um, verse 23, We will go on a three day journey into the wilderness and bring offerings to Hashem our God, as he will tell us. Pharaoh said, I will send you and you shall bring offerings to Hashem your God in the wilderness. Only do not go far off, entreat for me. And Moshe said, Behold, I leave you and I shall entrust, or excuse me, I shall entreat Hashem. And the swarm will depart from Pharaoh and his servants and from his people tomorrow. Only let Pharaoh not continue to mock by not sending out the people to bring offerings to Hashem. Verse 26. Moshe left Pharaoh's presence and entreated Hashem. Hashem did in accordance with Moshe's word. And he removed the swarm of wild beasts from Pharaoh. From his servants and from his people, not one remained. But Pharaoh made his heart stubborn even this time, and he did not send out the people. Now, there's a statement in the Midrash Shabbat, just to reiterate here. Um, This is actually to a little bit further on our parasha, but it's worth mentioning here because it says that Pharaoh um, hardened his heart. So in verse uh, 9, let's see here. Um. Yes, and and chapter nine and verse ten and through twelve, it says Hashem strengthened the heart of Pharaoh, and so the midrash Rabah in uh, chapter eleven and section six, Hashem strengthened the heart of Pharaoh. It says once the Holy One blessed be, He saw that Pharaoh did not repent as a result of the first five plagues. So with the first five plagues. We read in the Torah that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Continued to harden his heart. Saw what God did, hardened his heart. Saw what God did, hardened his heart. So he says, after that, from here on, the Holy One blessed be, he said, even if he will want to repent, I am strengthening his heart in order to exact the full measure of justice for him. The moral of the story for us is to not harden our heart, to be pliable, to be teachable, right? to not resist the calling of God in our life, and and not to be like Pharaoh. It's a very, as I've said many times throughout this particular Torah portion, that we run the risk, if we continue to resist Hashem, that we run the risk of potentially being in darkness, but thinking that we're in the light. And that's very, very, obviously, it's a very, very dangerous uh, place to be. So it says here, um, uh, verse 28, but Pharaoh made his heart stubborn. So we go to verse 29. Or Excuse me, that's the end of the chapter. So we go to chapter 9. And it says, Hashem said to Moshe, come to Pharaoh and speak to so, him. So said Hashem, the God of the Hebrews, send out my people that they may serve me. For if you refuse to send them out and continue to to grip them, behold, the hand of Hashem is on your livestock that they are filled, on the uh, excuse me, I'm sorry, on your livestock that are in the feet fi- in the field. Uh, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the cattle, on the flock. A very severe epidemic. Hashem shall distinguish between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, and not a thing. Right, So the word thing in, in the Hebrew is devar, which also means word. Not a word, not a thing. That belongs to the children of Israel will die. Hashem has set an appointed time, saying, Tomorrow Hashem shall carry out His word in the land. Now it says, as I, as I said, it says a thing, but it's also the word. So um, what the sages bring down in the Midrash Shabbat, that this means, the word the, because it uses the word uh, devar, that this means that this is like a a, con, a contract this was an it, hashem used this as a further illustration to the righteousness and the right standing of the israelites as it says in the midrash Shabbat, uh, chapter 11 section 4 it says what is meant by and not a thing quote unquote that belongs to the children of israel will die that even an animal that was in the possession of a non-Jew, in the possession of a non-Jew, but regarding which an Israelite had claims to the effect that he owned a portion of it, this animal too was saved from the epidemic. And this is the manner they knew that justice was with the Israelites. So with respect to this, what I want to point out is that, that in this case, when you have an animal... And it has joint ownership. It is owned partially by a Gentile and partially by a Jew. In this case, the question becomes: Which law is the animal with? Which law is the animal associated? Is it with the law of the Egyptian, or is it with the law of the Jew? And the answer is the law of the Jew. Now, this reminded me of a tractate, or a, a section rather, of tractate Sota, dealing. With uh, gra- being grafted in, and talking about literal grafting of a a branch onto a tree, and from this we can learn a great deal about the 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 so-called concept of the quote-unquote one new man from uh, one of Paul's letters. We had a conversation last night about this, and and the question got asked again. Why is it, why, why, why is it that the, the, the one new man is always so much a goy? How come the one new man is not a Jew? Why? Messiah is a Jew. All the heroes are Jewish. We serve the God of Israel, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, going back to the tractate and sotus, talking about the grafted in. So you have a tree that's three years old. You have a branch that's one year old. We know that after you, you're not allowed to have the fruit until after the fifth year. So, if you take the one-year-old branch and you graft it into the three-year-old tree, the question becomes, the sages ask a question. So, which is it? Which law applies since we have this situation? Does the tree become one-year-old, a Gentile? Or does the limb become 3 years old a Jew? And the answer is given in that tractate that the limb, the branch, takes upon itself the law of the tree. Why? Because the tree is the source of life, not the branch. The tree is the one that provides the sap from which, or or which nourishes, I should say, the branch and causes the fruit to grow. Not the opposite. Not the other way around. Okay? So if you are a non-Jew and you've been grafted into Israel, guess what? Israel doesn't take upon your laws, Israel doesn't become uh, free to, uh, you know, eat whatever they want, keep whatever holiday they want. No, quite the opposite. You take upon yourself the law of the tree so that you become a Jewish branch and your fruit becomes Jewish fruit. And uh, after a while, you, you graft on a branch to a tree. Come back a year later, you can't tell which one is the old branch and which one is the new branch. They all look alike, as they should, which is why the sages talk about the convert. The convert is a Jew in every respect, 100%. You're not allowed to walk around and say, are you Jewish? Are you not Jewish? Were you a convert? You're not allowed to do that. And so there you go. All right, going, moving on. We have uh, verse 6, Hashem carried out this word the next day, and the livestock of Egypt died, and the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. Pharaoh sent, and behold, the livestock of Israel, not even one had died, and yet Pharaoh's heart became stubborn, and he did not send out the people. The sixth plague, Hashem said to Moshe and Aaron, take for yourself handfuls of furnace soot, and let Moses hurl it heavenward before Pharaoh's eyes. It will become dust over the entire land of Mitzrayim. It will become boils erupting in blisters on man and beast. And throughout the land of Egypt, they took soot from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh and Moshe threw it headward, It became boils and blisters erupting on man and beast. That had to be horrible. The necromancers could not stand before Moshe because of the boils. Because the boils were on the necromancers and all of Egypt. They couldn't perform their uh, wizardry because they were covered in boils. Plus, they were embarrassed uh, to stand before Pharaoh because they realized that uh, they had absolutely been defeated. Hashem strengthened the heart of Pharaoh and he did not heed them as Hashem had spoken to them. Hashem spoke to Moshe, Arise early in the morning and station yourself before Pharaoh. Say to him, so says, this is the seventh plague now. So says Hashem, the God of the Hebrews, set out to my, send out rather my people that they may serve me. Again, we hear Hashem saying over and over again, Send them out. Why? So they since they can serve me. The point of being redeemed is so that we can serve. This is critically important. So it says in verse 14, For this time I shall send out my plagues against your heart and your servants and your people so that you shall know that there is none like me in all the world. From now on, I could have sent my hand and stricken you from your people with a pestilence and you would have been obliterated from the earth. Oh, he, he let him know, listen, I'm just toying around with you. If I wanted to, I could just destroy you right now. But I'm doing, I have a purpose in all of this. However, for this I have left you endure in order to show my strength so that my name may be declared throughout the world. Again, the purpose is reiterated that I'm doing all of this not for your sake, not for Israel's sake alone, but so the whole world, all of mankind can know that I am Hashem. Some people might say, uh, with respect to Lipid Judaism, what's your target audience? Are you trying to reach Jews? Are you trying to reach non-Jews? Are you trying to reach Americans? Are you trying to reach middle-aged uh, uh, white guys, middle-aged uh, whatever, uh, uh, Hispanic guys? And my answer is, my target market is people. If you are a people, I want you. If you are a people, you're invited to become a lapide. So, if you are a people, that is a qualification. You must be human in order to apply. If you're not human, not allowed to apply. Although, we do like dogs and cats, we might take them too. But, in terms of the actual covenant, it's limited to people. So, it says in verse 17, You still tread upon my people, do not send them out. Behold, at this time tomorrow I shall rain a very heavy hail, Such as there has never been in the Mitzrayim from the day it was found until now. And now, send, gather in your livestock and everything you have. In the field, all the people and animals that are found in the field that are not gathered into the house, the hell shall descend upon them, and they shall die. Whoever among the servants of of Pharaoh uh, Pharaoh feared the word of God chased his servants and livestock to the house. And whoever did not take the word to heart, he left his servants and livestock in the field. And guess what? They died. By the way, the sages say that one of the servants who was watching this whole episode... And who, uh, as a result of the episode, became uh, a believer, became a convert. He brought in his animals. This person was Job. Job, Job, looked and said, hey, I'm no fool. I, he, was, he was one of uh, Pharaoh's, they say, top uh, aides. But uh, he realized, hey, uh, I believe in the God of, of uh, Israel. So it says, verse 22, Hashem said to Moshe, stretch out your hand toward the heaven, there will be a hail in the entire land of Mitzrayim on man and beast and on the grass of the field and land of Egypt Moses stretched out his staff towards the heaven and Hashem sent thunder and hail and fire went earthward and Hashem rained hail upon the earth there was hail and fire flaming amid the hail very heavy, such as never been in the entire land of Egypt from the time it became a nation the hail struck the entire land of Egypt everything that was in the field from the man to beast all the grass of the field the hail struck and every tree in the field was smashed only in the land of Goshen where the children of Israel there was no hail so the sages say the hail looked like a um, looked like a lantern with a with a fire in it. Maybe this is why you have a Gideon who took the lanterns with fire and broke them before he um, uh, trampled the enemy underfoot. Maybe he was trying to simulate uh, spiritually. Anyway, I'm just throwing this out there. Maybe uh, the hail. Verse twenty-seven. Pharaoh sent and summoned Moshe and Aaron and said to them, "The time, this time, I've sinned." So Pharaoh, for the first time recognizes that he's a sinner for the first time. And unfortunately, it was too late. Hashem is the righteous one, and I, the people, are wicked ones. Entreat Hashem, that there be an abundance of, of godly thunder and hail, and I shall send out you and shall not continue to remain. Moshe said to him, when I leave the city, I shall spread out my hands to Hashem. Thunder will cease and the hail will no longer be, so that you will know that the earth is Hashem's. Why did he leave the city? The sages say he left the city because he did not want to play pray in a place of idolatry. And as for you and the servants, I I know that you are not yet afraid of Hashem, um, Hashem, God. The flax and the barley were struck, for the barley was ripe, and the flax was in the stalks. And the wheat and the spelt were not struck, for they ripened later. Moshe went out from Pharaoh from the city, and he stretched out his hand to Hashem, and thunder and hail ceased, and rain did not reach the earth. Pharaoh saw the rain and the hail and the thunder ceased, and he continued to sin. He made his heart stubborn he and his servants and Pharaoh's heart became strong and he did not send out the children of Egypt, excuse me, children of Israel as Hashem had spoken through Moses. How many times do we see the uh, hand of God in our life? Uh, God's miraculous uh, provision and, 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 and uh, work in our life. And we still don't believe. It reminded me the other day that we should all just take a moment And sit back and think about all the miracles and deliverances that Hashem has wrought for us. Think about them. Go back years and years. Think about the transformation. Um, I was talking yesterday about how God has transformed my very life. I am the person that you're looking at right now. If you went back in time 20, 25 years, you you wouldn't recognize me. I'm not talking about my beard. I'm talking about the essence of who I am. Not even the same person. It's, it's that 100%. So that miracle alone. But think about all the other miracles. It's amazing. So give God the glory. Give God the thanks. End of our Aliyah and end of our parashah. Bless all of you. Thank you so much for joining us. Please do your friends and family a favor and share this video with them. Like it. Share it. Post it around. And uh, do them a favor, allow them to see it. And I want to see all of you in shul on Shabbat. Let's fill up the the, the uh, synagogue. If you're watching online, let's have 80 views. 80 views. We're going to make 80 views this uh, week online. 80 people watching live. And uh, hundreds and hundreds more uh, watching after that. So let's all do it together and let's spread the light of the Shalom, shalom. Have a happy, happy prep day And Shabbat Shalom. We look forward to seeing everybody tomorrow.